right. So this is your first call, and we've had a bit of a chat so far. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. And so the way to get started is basically from the top down. All right. And the top of it all is the Buddha says that he only teaches one thing, and that is dukkha dukkha. And so from now on, everything that I refer to always point back to that one that is dukkha dukkha naroda. Now, one of the primary mistakes that is made in the West is when the Westerners read that with the Western mentality, they actually don't read Dukkha Dota. They read Dukkha, 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 or Dukkha. Let's look at that Dukkha, always related to this Dukkha. Oh, let's go down that rabbit hole. We get to the bottom of it, we're going to find more Dukkha. Oh, when will this ever end? Dukkha, Dukkha, Dukkha. No Dukkha Naroda. Okay. But the teaching of the Buddha is actually Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda immediately. See the Dukkha and get out of it right here and now. And the way that we begin to see that is by understanding where it comes from, which is the second noble truth. Where is the source of this Dukkha? So that we can begin to get an understanding of get ourselves out of into a better state that could be called sukha, becoming satisfied, because dukkha actually means dissatisfied. And in the Zen, when they say zazen or just sitting, actually has that quality of built in of satisfaction. Just, just sitting here, just sitting. Take it easy. Most of the Westerners have trouble doing that. Most people are too hard. So they remain in dukkha because they're working too hard and not actually getting immediately the results. I think your microphone is. Oh, no, I'm just listening. Can you still hear okay. me? Yes, now I can hear you. All right. So this is an important place to start is, is that the uh, end of suffering is immediately available. It's not something you have to work on times and develop lots and lots of skills. But rather, as we practice correctly, we're building skills so we get better at it. That's the difference, is, is that we get the value out of the practice right here and right now. And that practice, uh, the Buddha called Anapasati, which is actually just the method of practicing the Eightfold Path, which is the fourth. So the first noble truth is there is Dukkha. It does exist. What we mean by that is that there is dissatisfaction. Now, many times it's translated as uh, suffering. But only if uh, a little of the time are we actually suffering. Most of the time we're just dissatisfied. Sort of like a, a quiet desperation 
encompasses a noisy desperation. And so the whole point then is, is that we probably be much better able to take care of the noisy desperations, big stuff, if we were able to handle stuff, to start easy. Let's get to the get the a foundation of skills built up so that we can handle big stuff happily by starting with learning to deal with the little stuff comfortably and happily. Practice and practice and practice. So that's the foundation and that uh, the practice repetitive over and of bringing the mind into a state of sukha. Now this, the Eightfold Path, then you probably heard about it. And one of the things that uh, is known about that a lot of people don't understand is that there's actually two paths. There's the ordinary path that ordinary people are practicing, which is Siva Sramati Panya. Noble path starts with the mind starts with really, what? I'll, I'll tell you in just a moment. Find the words, and then we'll go again. Sila Samati Panya is the ordinary path, and Panya Samati Sila is the noble path. Now, let me explain. Uh, Sila has to do with outward behavior. The Buddha teaches that the mind is the forerunner for all things, that your behavior is dependent upon your mind. There are certain things as accidents. We're not 100% sure of how uh, mental the accidents are. But by and large, we do what we intend to do. We are just not uh, aware of our intentions. So we wind up doing the wrong thing intentionally. The highway to hell, they say, is paved with good intentions. So if we are knowledgeable about our intentions, then we'll have something to do about it. And if we are able to change our mind, then and only then can we change our behavior. So why in the beginning do we teach the children to behave but in fact, the better thing to do is, is to teach them to be aware of their intentions. Look at what you're doing. Don't. We give them a set of rules to follow. But we go over some set of rules, some precepts, some ideas of how things to be, other than looking at how things actually are. So there is a method. This is this is where I can I jump in? This is where I have a really, I guess, pressing question. And one of the things is that I have particularly intense ADHD. I've been to like doctors, I've had medication, none of it's really worked for me. I feel like improving my sati doesn't really help. And trying to turn every step into a walking, remembering when I can, doing the dishes mindfully has been helped. But I feel like the practice is uh, fast enough, and I don't have my own impatience, or if there's a better way, I should be more patient. Okay. 
Well, one thing to say is that you're a little bit ahead of me. So let's back up and, and we'll talk about sati soon enough. I'm just about to introduce it. But the important thing is to understand that the Eightfold Noble Path is not a path. It's much more like a method to apply. Okay, and then we become really skilled at applying that method, which is different than a journey. That when it, even when the path word is used, you get the idea of a horse path, uh, path in the woods, a journey to go to, to get someplace over time. Is that correct? Path is takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the basic mistake that's made. A much better way of looking at it is a door that's right in front of you. All you have to do is put the key in, and the key is remember, you know how to open the door. You stick the key in, and you turn the crank, push the door open, right effort. And you walk right into your own paradise. That's the way to go. And this, this is for all facets of the path? This is the, that's the basic teaching right then and there. That you have to practice the Eightfold Noble Method correctly. Okay, what is the key? What is the turning of the key? What is the pushing? All of that kind of stuff we're about to go into. But that's the analogy to have. And that the is to be open, journey is to be taken. Another example of that, by the way, I'll introduce it, is the story of the um, Pilgrim. There's an old, old book called Pilgrim's Progress. Have you ever heard of it? Hey, do you know what a pilgrim is? So, a pilgrim is going on a journey to get to a holy spot. Well, what does he do when he gets to the holy place that he's seeking? Does he stay? If he stays, it is not a pilgrim anymore, but if he's a pilgrim, then he'll leave that holy spot and go to some other holy spot, take a journey. In fact, he spends most of his time journeying, little time in the holy place. Sorry, you, I couldn't hear you there. Last time I said, uh, Okay, so we've gotten about the pilgrim, spends most of his time in a journey and not so much time in an actual holy place. Right. So, so the best thing for us to learn to do is to stop journeying to a holy place and be in the holy place that we actually are already in. That this is it. This is the holy place. Okay, so that means that there's no place to go and nothing to do. You have to do is practice doing nothing, just sitting here. So, the um, the introduce the eightfold method this way. Let us break it into three groups. And the three groups have to do with the features and um, the 
let's say the causes and the results of the unified mind. When the mind is unified, when the mind is whole, how do we get the mind in a unified whole state? The answer to that is, the first is sati, to remember, come out of whatever hell that we're in, <laughs> and remember then to look at the fact that we are in hell and then take the effort that it takes to cool things off. Because after all, the hell doesn't really exist except when we are thinking that it does. So there's many, many degrees of hell, depending on how hot you're making your own mind. You recognize those thoughts that are hot, and also refer to them as unwholesome, or also hindrances or obstructions. Obstructions and hindrances to what? Being chill, man, being chill. <laughs> And so this is what we're practicing, is to remember to look at what the mind's doing so that you can have a choice about what it's doing. And naturally, if you had a choice about what your mind was doing right now, you wouldn't be planning or scheming about the future or worried about the past or in remorse, something to be new or different. You say, hey, everything is chill right now. Everything. It's true love, chill, baby. Okay. We have to talk ourselves into it. We have to gladden the mind. Because most of us can't put the mind to stop yet. We can slow it down just a bit. Balance just a bit. Start uh, not letting it roam into, let's say, poisonous weeds or thickets or whatever that the of the mind can run some boundaries on them in a pasture. Pasture then is always going to ask to eat some thoughts to handle. So this is the way we begin to practice. Is everything's okay? Everything's fine? Then we begin to aware uh, of this very moment out of the thought process into the reality of the senses. Start just sitting in the sense of being in your senses, including uh, that feeling of just sitting. Now, in the Mahasi method, they have something called rising, falling, touching, sitting. Have you ever heard of that? No. Rising, falling, touching, sitting means the rising and the falling of the chest for the in-breath and the out-breath. The touching is knowing your body in the sense of all of the things that touch. And then the sitting is knowledge of what the body is doing, the postures of the body, the ingrown, uh, deep understanding of the mind of where, for instance, your feet are right now. You know where they are without having to look. How do you know where they are? I just do. Yeah, you just do, right, the feeling. This is called um, uh, kinesthetic awareness. Right. 
kinetic energy? Yes. Kinesthetic. Okay, there you are. You know it because you can experience it. Or another way of saying it is you can feel it. If you're paying attention to it. Most people are not paying attention to anything. They just, I mean, they let it go on automatic pilot. In fact, one of the automatic pilots is called the cochlea, which is above the ear, and it has to do with balance. It's that just... balance. It has to do with balance. Right. A baby has to develop that in order to stand and walk. Did you say hypothalamus? Balance. How to stand up. If you don't balance yourself, you're going to fall over. I'm kind of curious what you think about this. Um, I noticed with, uh, for instance, like walking meditation or like just like being in public, focusing on my breath, trying to quiet the mind. It feels as though by relating to the present is then dependent on the vehicle of the breath or footstep as opposed to having a globally present awareness. Does that make sense? Yes. But and the important thing is, is that you're paying attention to the body. And there's no reason to keep any one particular thing as an object, because if you do, you'll miss a whole lot of other stuff that's happening. It talks about it in the sense of one by one as they occur. So, so you're saying that perhaps I should rotate through the, like any sensation that comes up in the body. Yes, you should know it. In fact, I should not just. You should, you should know it. Okay. okay. Here's, here's several examples of that. In the Zendo, you've heard of the Zen stick. I, have, I haven't heard of it. Had a Zen master some, in some of the traditions of Japan, they have a Zen stick. Oh, for when you're dozing off in meditation, like hit you? Okay. Right, there's very many different ways of dozing off. How is the teacher going to know that you're in one of these phases of dozing off? Let us say that if you were sitting there and you knew that the teacher was coming up behind you, would you adjust your posture just the slightest bit? Yes. Okay. Do you think the teacher's smart enough to see you moving when he, when you know he, that he's there? He knows that you know that he's there. Okay. Is he likely to hit you with the Zen stick at that point? No. Ah, but it goes to some other person who is sitting there doing whatever he thinks is the proper Zen, and the teacher walks up behind him and he doesn't know it. Teacher knows it, he doesn't know it. Is he likely to be the one that's going to be whacked with that Zen stick? They take that a step further in uh, deeper training to where when the monks are sleeping together in the same room, the teacher walks in with that Zen stick. Guess who he hits while they're asleep? He walks in, it's late at night, three in the morning, two in the morning. Who does he hit with that Zen stick? So? Oh, he's going to hit the one who stays asleep while everybody else is sitting up. They knew that the Zen teacher came into the room. Despite being in a state of deep sleep. I because they're keeping their eyes open 
they're mindful even while they're asleep. I didn't know that was possible. I know. That's why it has to be trained. It's not. Another training in that example would be perfect pitch. A lot of college professors believe that you uh, that uh, that perfect pitch is only a talent that's naturally given. In fact, it's a training. It's a training. You can train. You can listen to an A440 over and over again and then hear other notes and come back until you got that note down and you know when you hear an A440 that you've got it. Okay? Guess what? That's exactly what we're doing with Anapanasati is nailing it down, getting it exact, listening closely, or in our case, watching closely, everything. Including when the Zen teacher walks into the room, you know it, you know he's there. And he works very hard to try to keep you from. So, so to clarify this, uh, the primary anchor that I should use for my awareness is the whole of the body. The whole of the body. Anything that comes up, be aware of knowing it. That's why uh, in the Anapanasati Sutta, you start with the breathing. Taking, remembering to take long, deep breaths on the in-breath and then having a long, deep, relaxing out-breath mindfully, knowledgeably, the sati. We're here in this present moment and we're taking that breath with watching of the body, become attuned to the body, to find out where any tensions are in the body and relax the body. Body is completely relaxed, it's quite an antenna. And it's all tensed up, it doesn't know a thing. Okay. So, getting the body relaxed is part of Anapanasati. You get it relaxed by knowing it well. And we know it well, starting with the breathing, then start paying attention to what the body's doing. This is a process. You practice and repeat it over and over the more you'll get to know this thing you live in called body. By the way, is not yours. <laughs> I, I, I think that was what I was about to allude to, which is this idea that uh, people say there's no separation between yourself and like, everything you can perceive. Well, it depends upon how you define the word self. That's one of the problems with Western Buddhism is they don't have a good, firm, exact definition. So they're all over the place with it. Two people can be in a heated argument over it and they're actually saying the same thing. It's taking a different, let us say, position in the round table of firing to fire at each other, but that they're in the same game. So, um, the word self is actually problematic. Much better word to use in order to understand it is the word selfish. We get selfish. Trying to protect the self, like when we're angry, we're being selfish. So, learn to see that selfishness. We can put an end to it. And so that's one of the things that we look for examining 
back to the Eightfold Path is <clears throat> or the method, I should say, since I drew that into you so strongly. One of the parts of the path is to remember to be here right now. Remember to wake up. Remember to pay attention. Remember to come into all of your senses, including now to begin to investigate through the Satipatthana, how is my body, how is my feelings, what what condition my mind is in. What was that term you used to say? Satipatthana? Satipatthana. Okay, the four foundations of mindfulness are body, feelings, mind, and objects. Body, feeling, mind. Okay, so like, like um, a stove, wood, fire, and the smoke and heat. One's heavy, hard, solid, the body. The next one is the firewood. It gets consumed. That's where all the energy comes from. That's our feelings. And then the fire is the mind. Then the smoke that we give off and the heat is the product of the mind and the feelings. So that's an example. That's the Satipatthana. The body, the feeling, the mind, and the mind's objects are thoughts. Can you run through the fire with the stove example one more time? Pardon? Can you run through the stove example once more? The stove, a pot-bellied stove, then the firewood, then the fire itself, then the smoke and heat. Right. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the stove is the body. Firewood is the feelings. The fire itself is the mind. And the smoke and heat is the content of the fire, content of the mind. Yeah, I'm curious about this because it, it presumes then that feelings generate thoughts as opposed to thoughts generating feelings. Something about they work together. They're, they're together. They affect one another. There's a connection, a deep connection. But yes, feelings do condition the mind, and then the mind conditions the feelings. Also, the feelings condition the body, and the body conditions the feeling. So when the body's sick, we feel sick, and then the mind is dull. Can't think straight when we're sick. Body's strong, our feelings are drunk, and so is the mind is drunk, and we can't think straight. Okay, and one of the ways of being drunk is like drunk with anger. Body's drunk on uh, uh, adrenaline, then the feelings are all shook up. Smoke gets in our eyes. When your heart's on fire, burning with desire, smoke gets in your eyes. It's from an yeah. Okay, what is the smoke? It's your own. Fuel that's burning within your mind. So things get cloudy and smoky and we can't see what's going on. So the better thing to do, instead of getting in our in a, a particularly hot state like that, let's look for the spots. Like the ones that are happening right now. The, the, the thoughts of confusion. But that's the thoughts of confusion. I don't know what he's saying. 
as something to wake up to, to recognize, well, I'm confused right now. Thought that I would point it out because I've seen you being confused several times. And so let's start watching for when we're confused because confusion is a, is a hindrance. I, I have a lot of thoughts coming in as you're speaking. And I think that's also a hindrance because both places, if I could pay attention for, I have so many concepts coming in. Trying to, trying to put everything together. Actually, there. let me at least mention it to you, because I don't think that this is so much of a big issue as it has been with, with several other students. And that is, is that they take what I have to say and fit it carefully into the place of what they already know. A better way of learning is to set everything aside. Learn what we're talking about here and how it fits together. Get it all together. Then we can bring it in and see how it fits and how it doesn't fit with something else. Yes. That's the better way of doing it, is just taking things the way that they're offered rather than trying to fit it in with preconceived notions, because that's where confusion will arise. You mean to say that I should take what, what's given to me as it is Correct. processing post-session as opposed right. to what I'm doing, which is processing immediately? Right, let's process what we're saying rather than processing it in regard to the data that you are. So if you can remember to do that, then you're much more open. <clears throat> yeah. And we'll actually talk about how the mind works in that regard. Which is one of the questions I was alluding to earlier. I'm very quick to blame ADHD, but I'll do my best to push it aside here. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that I mentioned it then. Okay, so um, basically, this is the point of to start talking about what are the hindrances. There are normally five hindrances, but uh, a better way of thinking about it is, is that these hindrances are not either um, definite and specific, nor a complete answer. Rather, basically see it as a pizza pie that is just happened to be sliced with five different slices. But before it was sliced up, it was just all one package. Okay, in the sense that the these hindrances are interrelated, and, and the mind will go from one to another to another to another of the hindrances, and some people, when they can see that, they call it the monkey mind. Because everywhere the monkey lands, he's still not satisfied, he's still in hindrance. The monkey mind is always one of these hindrances. Right, well, the monkey mind is the fact that we're not actually practicing to control the mind. And the way that we learn to control any animal is by being friends with it first. Okay, that in fact, if uh, uh, if the puppy knows that he's about to be spanked, he's going to run away. And so that's the way that the mind works. Also, we have to stop being critical, start to be nurturing. 
which is also a way of talking about having wholesome thoughts. So we begin to have wholesome thoughts in the sense of this right now is good. No place to go, nothing to do, everything is fine. We begin to intentionally have what we know for sure is intentionally wholesome thoughts about what's happening right now. An example of that is, oh, I feel safe. There's no snakes here. Especially if I'm afraid of snakes. And well, yeah, but there's no snakes here. <gasps> I can relax. Bears in the closet, no problems. Okay, and so we start thinking about safety and security. Because we are safe right here, right now. That rarely are we actually in danger, and yet also rarely are we not afraid. We have to practice being not afraid. And how are we making ourselves be afraid? Of giving ourselves work to do. Oh, you've got to go to the bank. Oh, you've got to go do a visa. Oh, you've got to go buy a gift for somebody. Oh, you've got to go to dinner. Oh, you've got to go this, do that. So for a little while, just sit. Place to go and, and enjoy the fact that we've got no place to go and nothing to do right now. Hey, we can enjoy the heck out of this. What do you, what do you think about Western Western capitalism ambition and everything we've talked about in relationships? Yeah, but we can let that go for a little. Sorry? We can we just let all of that go for a little. Right now, I don't have to play capitalist. Right now, I can play breather. I can just sit here and breathe. I guess I'm more in, more in a macro context because I've always wondered if the cessation of all suffering leads to complete not being okay. functioning. I'm sorry, I don't work on macro level. I only work on right here, right now. That's the time to take those capital thoughts out. Not off into the future and not ultimately just when you catch them and you're watching right now, you can catch them right now. I can say, yeah, I don't have to be capital right now. Right now I can just sit here and retired. Yeah, I ever needed a capitalist. And now I can set that foot down. I guess I guess I'm curious as to like how you would make the distinction between what one is laziness versus presence. When is one really genuine? Well, that, that too has to be investigated. Again, to recognize, in fact, that the present moment right now actually is probably about two or three seconds long. For some people, it's two seconds long. Depends upon how quick you get it over with. Some people, they get stuck in stuff for hours. They don't recognize that that's heavy. <laughs> they can set it down and just be happy. Hey, I don't have to think about Grandpa dying. I don't have to think about getting fired. I could just sit here and do nothing and enjoy the moment. But doesn't that kind of detract from time you could have spent better optimizing your chances of not getting fired? 
I mean, the grandpa one, I have no control over at all. I don't know what you're talking about yet. In, in the example of uh, fear of getting fired, for instance, right? It's this kind of nebulous fear that may or may not. Um, Sorry, but... we're, we're not certain that we can get fired. I think your example was we may get fired. And I'm oh, saying it was a general example, but it was a heavy duty example. In fact, if I thought that you're in danger of getting fired, I wouldn't use the example. Okay. Not that I am. I'm just saying, like, you know, if you. I know you're not. That's why I use the example. Because that's over your moon. That's too much. You know, you don't spend much time doing that. But look at the kind, because that's really on fire. That's really hell if you're worried about getting fired. Okay. So you're not worried about getting fired, but there are moment by moment worries. And those things are going to come up on a regular basis all throughout the hour. But if you spend five minutes an hour really watching what the mind is doing with the intention of throwing out any unwholesome thoughts, have wholesome thoughts like, oh, I bet I can get done well in 55 minutes with a five-minute break than I could if I worked 60 minutes and then 60 minutes and then 60 minutes. Let me take five minutes off to get my mind rested. Ready for work. Can you can you help me understand again uh, what is the best way to make attention between person and unwholesome? What I'm sorry, what's the best way to what you broke up? There's probably like a list of wholesome versus wholesome, unwholesome fact, like wholesome versus unwholesome mental fact. Yes, and and that and the answer to that question is that's a skill that you must develop. That's your job to do is to figure out what your hindrances are so that you can come out of them, get yourself back into a pleasant state of no place to go and nothing to do. Do you think then it is enough to merely just like watch thoughts? So every minute, every hour, top of the hour, set a timer for five In that five minutes. Take a regular time out. A lot of people say we're only going to take one time a day. Others talk about two, but the actuality is, is that more often that you do stop to get your mind back in a good state, the better you'll be able to continue on with that even when you're back at work. Yes, absolutely. And if you work an hour and then do not take five minutes off, but just work a second hour, then your second hour is not going to be as productive. But if you take five minutes off, take a really good rest then the next 55 minutes is going to be much more productive. That's the way of looking at it. That's, in fact, one of the reasons why uh, big business is drawn to this meditation stuff. Yeah. It's because people get value out of it. The problem is is that the, uh, the business people won't take advantage of the individual. And here, if they practice incorrectly, they learn not to be taken advantage of. So the business people better watch out. <laughs> What's up? Um, no, I agree. I mean, preferably top of every waking hour, right? Um, my question is more so, uh, is it enough to merely label thoughts wholesome, unwholesome, or do we need to have more nuance behind that? Yes, the- make it make it a game. 
be joyful with it. Have a have it a game. Make it a toy to play with. Oh, I've always been frustrated. Yes, okay. So begin to uh, just enjoy and, and play with it as a toy. So the first place to start is with the Buddhist method of, aha, I caught you. Okay, so you're going to be playing a game of caught you. What are you going to catch? Unwholesome thoughts. Which ones are you going to catch? The next one that comes by while you're looking. How about all of the ones that I missed because I wasn't looking? The answer to that is don't frustrate yourself with what you didn't do before. Enjoy what you're doing right now. Out of the past. Don't beat yourself up for what you haven't been doing. Enjoy the fact that you can catch it now. Okay, sure. Um, That's an important point because people will sit in Zazen for 20 years and not figure that one out. Then someday, some quiet morning, he falls over in hell of a laughter <laughs> because he figured it out. He'd been wasted the past 20 years. He could have sat here and enjoyed himself. <laughs> okay, so... I understand giving yourself positive reinforcement. Well, okay, here's a point then. These are not affirmations. I know about affirmations. I've seen books on affirmations, and they don't work often. But we're not doing affirmations about trying to talk ourselves into something that we want. Instead, we're enjoying the fact that we can see how things are right now. But they're good enough right now. They're acceptable right now. Yeah, I, I meant so I've been taught in meditation to to give yourself a pat on the back every time of the month. So. Yes, exactly. Every time that you catch a weird thought, you can say, aha, I caught you, and then give yourself a pat on the back. Exactly so. Yeah. We'll talk about so, that patting on the back next time, but right now we're getting started with correct practice. In fact, we need to back up and start talking about path itself, the sati, to wake up and remember, to look. And that's what we've been talking about, right, noble investigation, looking, seeing, is this a hindrance or what? Seeing, does, does, do I already feel like I'm king of the hill, or do I feel like I'm buried under a mountain, my own crap? In fact, uh, once a student said uh, about this story, he said that every one of us, everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. Every one of us is an emperor of our own pile of dirt. The question is, are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt? Are you going to be clawing your way out of the pile of dirt? Are you going to just sit on top of your pile of dirt, above it all, with a view? And everybody starts out being a victim of their own pile of dirt, buried in our own past. All we have to do is stop climbing out of it like we want something and just pop right out. Just come right to the top. Hey, man, I don't need that. That's just the past. Let it be. Right now, 
I'm going to enjoy the view. So this is the way to do it. It's up to you. Are you going to be buried under your own pile of dirt? Or are you going to be sitting on top of your world? Yeah. Yeah. So congratulate yourself. You can sit on top of your own world every time you remember to. Every time you don't, you're buried under it. You're not looking. So wakey, wakey. <laughs> And this is the teaching of the Buddha, the uh, the Eightfold Noble Path. And the, the patting oneself on the back is actually the item four. This one is wake up, look at what you're doing, make a change. We do that over and over and over and over again until we recognize we can do it. And that's when we start congratulating ourselves and really patting ourselves on the back because we know we can do it now. We got success. What was that part you said about make a change? Making a change to the unwholesome thoughts, making a change to the hindrances, making a change uh, by taking the mind out of the past, out of the future. But that's in fact, you ask about unwholesome thoughts. If they are about the past, they're unwholesome. If they're about the future, they're unwholesome. If they're about someplace else, they are unwholesome. If those thoughts are about what's happening right here in front of you, then they're wholesome. I'm, I'm curious as to how this can be compatible with, with living in society. I mean, if you don't have any future planning skills. We'll do that in the 55 minutes. Oh, okay. You're saying just in, in just five minutes. Take five minutes off. Yeah. No, I just thought you meant like always. Well, that's the whole idea that students don't understand because they they confuse everything with always. Okay, an example of that is the law of karma is stated as good actions give good results and bad actions give bad results. And what they put on that is no matter what. That's not true. Sometimes an action is mixed. You don't know whether it's good or bad. Some actions are not worth doing, and so we stop doing them. So it's all a big mixed bag. But when you say an action that is good is always good, and it will eventually give good results, that's magical thinking. That requires a comma machine. Great big sky daddy. There's no, yeah, there's no thought. Yeah. No. Or in our language, a store uh, uh, and forward. It's a store and forward mechanism. But isn't there a store forward mechanism? I was always in the impression. No. I'm a Vikings. If you ever find it, bring it, drag it in here, and we'll take a look at it. We'll take it apart right down to the uh, 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 micro level. We'll find out what kind of chips this computer's got. The whole point is, is that there is no evidence of such a, uh, a magical store and mechanism. How, I've always taken the law of karma, um, I've just believed it, but I've never been able to find any text that or 
folks and talk to Well, here's the point is, is that when we are thinking about that full uh, store and forward mechanism, whether it exists or not, we're not being in the present moment. We're all someplace in magic land. Right. So it's unwholesome to have those kind of thoughts. Better just let them go and say, hey, it doesn't matter whether the store and forward mechanism works or not. It's irrelevant. I don't know and I don't care. If I care about it, then I'm worried about it. And then I'm off into the past and I'm in my own little hell about is there one or is there not. Let's forget about it. It's not important. You don't have any evidence anyway. Right. So just let it go. We don't know. And the likelihood of it biting us in the butt is very low because we have no evidence that it even exists. Even in the movies, you have uh, the bully that gets defeated at the end of the movie is introduced early in the movie to make sure everybody knows he's the villain. Here, we don't even know if the villain exists or not. But we're worried that a, that a villain might exist. <laughs> I want to ask this before we move on to Tama, actually. Um, do you think, I think I've heard this from someone before, that awareness is enough to dissolve um, is no. Sam, Samstar? Samstar? No. No. Where awareness that you're talking about is like weak sati. We need strong sati that's going to wake us up so we can take the effort to change whatever you are about to talk about. This Awareness what, is not enough. Do we need to replace unwholesome thoughts with wholesome thoughts? Because it sounds like you're saying the awareness of the unwholesome thought is not enough to resolve your habit pattern. You, you have to, to grab it by the toenails and throw it out of the house. Throw it out the house, but do we bring good stuff back into the house? or No, it's going to climb back in on its own. It's in the habit of being in the house. And so it'll come back enough where you there sharp enough to say, aha, I caught you again. But after I've caught it in the house, should I bring wholesome thoughts into the house actively? Right. Well, the kicking it out is the wholesome thought. Out you go. Uh-huh. I see you is actually a wholesome thought. Okay. So I don't I don't need to you know what cognitive behavioral therapy is? Not enough to give you a lecture on it. <laughs> uh well they, they always say that you should like notice a negative thought and replace it with a more realistic and or positive in modern okay. time. All right. And I've always wondered like uh, like I had a teacher in yoga who said awareness is enough. It'll dissolve the trauma, it'll resolve whatever. But I've always wondered like if I need to on top of that throw like Have you ever heard of the concept that time heals all wounds? Guess what? Is that true or not? Some people grieve for years and years and then they die grieving. So it's not time that heals all wounds. It's coming to peace with it. Letting it be. Stop clinging to it. Or another way that's I think the students really understand is stop caring about it. Now, stop caring about it is actually an effort. 
that we have to take. If we're merely aware of it and we don't like it, then we'll avoid it and it'll keep coming back. So just awareness is not enough. That's actually just a weak form of sati. We have to have a strong form of sati. Aha, I see you. What is the distinction between a weak form of awareness and a high CU? Because I feel like all I have, like whenever I wake up, all I have is a high CU. I've never known anything. Well, when you first wake up in the morning, uh, how long do you stay in bed before you actually get out of bed? Five seconds? 30 seconds. Five minutes? 30 oh. seconds. Okay. So what happens during that 30 seconds? I flip through the phone. Okay, so, uh, but you haven't gotten up. So the, um, the, the way that we can talk about it then is we're, we're practicing in meditation the same sequence of events as we do every time that we wake up in the morning. We have a sensory awareness. Most of the time, the first one is sensory awareness of the body in bed. Wake up to the knowledge that here we are laying in bed. Sometimes it's a light. If the light's flashing, lightning outside the house will certainly wake people up. Uh, having water thrown in your face, hearing a loud noise. So it's coming into sensory awareness. So that's the first thing. But that's not enough to get us out. We need to take the effort to get up and get out of bed. And when we get up out of bed, we're actually more alert and more awake than we were still laying there in bed. Now, that may not be exactly true for you because there you are with your cell phone, kind of a waking up and getting active inter intermediate state. The real waking up is getting up. What so that's what's the equivalent of getting up here. Like how do well, I we're equating that only in the sense of the uh, using it as an example for when you are becoming mindful, when you're taking that five minutes off and the mind has wandered away, what happens when you recognize that the mind has wandered away? I bring them Most, back. I bring you them. can bring it back. You can get it out of bed and bring it back. Okay, so you're just saying the second point is just bring it back, just noticing it and then just bring it back. Yeah, and then you have to bring it back. And that bringing it back is part of one's right effort. I always thought that was just a default. I mean, I've always done that. Well, it is in a way because that's all the skill that many people ever develop. I'm going to intentionally develop the skill of not just waking up to it, but aha, I see you, Myra and change our attitude and our mind state about it and throw those unwholesome thoughts out. Okay. See it and throw it out. Sorry, what? See it and throw it out. Yes, see it first. Aha, I caught you. And then <clears throat> out you go. And the out you go is a very wholesome thought. Ha, I'm glad that's gone. There's another wholesome thought. Well, I'm glad I don't have to think about that anymore. That's another wholesome thought. Well, I can just sit here now pleasantly again and just breathe and happy. That's another wholesome. wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. That'll keep that old thought from jumping back in over and over. 
so you don't have to keep grabbing it and throwing it out. You intentionally have one option card after another to keep that one at bay. Okay, so one example here, let's say like I'm having negative thoughts about my bank account or something, right? Like, oh, I have $1,000 right now, I wish I had $10,000. I would wake up to the thought, it's, I notice greed or something, and then I would, one way is I could just return to whatever I was doing. Again, just to clarify this example, some others might be like, you should replace it with a more realistic thought, a positive thought. Oh, actually, no, I should be present in this moment instead of worrying about them. And then returning to what Now, this is what I'm inviting you to do instead of those three uh, things. What I'm inviting you to do is, ah, I see that and I don't have to worry about it. That's all. That's it. Yeah, just say, hey, man, I'm I'm finished with that right now. I don't have to worry about it. I'll I'll worry about the bank later. Is another way of 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 getting out of it. I don't have to think about money in the bank right now. I'm satisfied right now. Right now is good enough. I don't have to worry about the bank. Let the bank bury banks. I get it because you're. you're... It's almost like the thought replacement isn't necessary in that moment, unless you were actually like tasked with having to handle that kind of thing. You can save like correcting your thinking for when you actually need it. Mm-hmm. Right. Then I'll have time to go to the bank later. I may not worry about the bank right now. I'll do that later. So in fact, later is a very wholesome thought most of the time. Anything that can be put off can be put off probably long enough to where it doesn't matter anymore. Which is another way of saying now I don't care. Which is the whole point in the first place is I don't care enough to do anything about it now. Let it wait. Longer it waits, the less I care about it. So this is a practice that we do. Practice of just sitting there, got no place to go, or nothing to do. Any unwholesome thoughts that come in and lie to us and tell us, oh, you got to go do this, that, and the other. Say, ah, never mind. Never mind those things. Start again and come back to our present. Okay. Great. Okay. Uh, I actually got to run. Um, but no, I, we've got about that much time anyway. Why don't we go ahead and finish now and you can call again, but go play with this, with whatever practice you've been doing, recognize that you can gladden the mind. You can change it. Play with that for just a little while, just five minutes would be enough time. Yeah. Three things I think I'll take away, um, the body awareness, clarifying that was helpful because stuff about it. Here we are. No place to go. Oh, I feel so relaxed. Yeah, I'll definitely try the five-minute thing to the top of the hour. We'll see you later. Yeah, thank you. Oh, when are you going to call? Uh, I like to practice for a while with this stuff uh, before calling again. Okay. Maybe a couple weeks. All right. I'll see you in a couple. All right. See you then. Cheers.